give our attention now to the scripture reading. It comes to us from the book of Acts today, chapter 16, starting at verse 14. All right, 14 to 18, and we'll pick up at verse 25 after that. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Now jumping down to verse 25, Paul and Silas, these missionaries are thrown into jail. They've been beaten. We pick up at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword when he was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus. And you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word, word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the, night, uh, of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced, along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Well, today... Kindred Presbyterian Church launches at 11 a.m. over in Artesia because the mission of the Holy Spirit is to advance and spread the word of the gospel. We, along with you, I ask you to join me in seeking and praying for the renewal of the gospel here at CCSC and its continual spread. You know, the little longer and deeper God calls me into gospel ministry, Truth be told, I really feel like I know less and less. There's so many uncharted territories, waters, situations that you get into when you're headlong into gospel ministry. And this is why I am so thankful for the book of Acts. Because if you think about it, the first early Christian church, everything was new. The gospel was adapting adjusting but impervious to Jews and to Gentiles and Greeks and Romans, spreading throughout the empire. There was no precedence or playbook, but the Holy Spirit carried and guided and strengthened them as he still does today, right now, as we study this book. 
So today we come to this chapter on the first three conversions or the first three stories of grace in a city called Philippi, the Macedonian region. But this would blow up to become the largest church in that region to Apostle Paul and one that was very dear, apparently, in his letter to the Philippians. Well, these three conversion stories. First off, there are three very different people. Very different by ethnicity or ethnically. Lydia, Lydia, this woman from Thyatira, that's a city in modern Turkey. Turkey is in Europe, but by ethnicity, Lydia was Asian. She was Asian. A little slave girl that we come across starting at verse 16. Um, or surely she was Greek. She was native Greek. Last but not least, in the third episode, that Philippian jailer was Roman because all the good civil service jobs were given to retired soldiers. Asian, Greek, Roman. All right, how about economics? How about economically? Uh, Lydia, we are told, uh, dealt in dye, the, the color purple. I had ventured to tell you when our female officers were installed, four deaconesses and two shepherdesses, speaking of how God brings female servant leaders for the better beauty of the gospel, the better beauty and the wholeness of the church. If you remember, uh, Lydia was, I would analogize like the CEO of a world-class fashion brand. It says she owned a home. She owned a home in Philippi. She was not just a little wealthy. I would say extremely wealthy, very accomplished with a lot of influence. Well, think about the slave girl now. She's at the polar opposite end of the spectrum, wasn't she? She never whined and dined and hosted people at her home. She never got to go to certain restaurants. But she was used. She was exploited. She was abused. She was penniless. She was a slave. Lydia, extremely wealthy. We have a slave girl. Then the jailer. Uh, I would venture to guess the jailer lived nowhere near the zip code of Lydia. He could not afford that neighborhood or the schooling. But also, he lived way above the life of the slave girl. We might call this solid middle class. Solid middle class. Economically, they were so different. Okay, how about spiritually? Spiritually, they're all over the map. We are told that Lydia was, quote-unquote, a worshiper of God. Now, that phrase means is a foreigner, a Gentile, who is so intrigued that she met with Jewish people to learn, study, and listen to the Bible. She went to prayer meetings and Bible studies with Jews because she was searching for the God of this Bible. Spiritually, she was seeking. Now, why is an affluent accomplished? It seems like she has everything in her life that you would want to have. What is she doing in Bible study? Why is she taking the energy and the time and the regularity of gathering for prayer and Bible study? It's because after everything that she had accomplished, spiritually, she was empty. She sensed that she felt it. She knew deep down there's way more to life than reaching my goals. The slave girl now again is at the polar opposite, spiritually speaking. 
Not only was this girl enslaved on the outside, she was enslaved inside. She was tormented. Maybe her parents just sold her off because they didn't know how to handle her. And her current employers or owners used her for a spirit of divination. That was fortune telling. People would come along and ask her questions or they would want a prediction about their future. And somehow she would utter loud prophecies and declarations. Do you know what a tragic and pitiful prop that must have been? A young girl abandoned by her parents under a bridge, you might say, being sold for services. Spiritually speaking, however, she chases Paul and Silas around, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High, and they're pronouncing to you the way of salvation. Now, I want you to grasp and latch onto this thing here. This girl knew and perceived there is a way of salvation, and she called them the servants of the Most High. I would say she was a spiritual savant. She was actually genius. Although tormented and enslaved, spiritually speaking, she had incredible insight into the spiritual realm. You know, and I don't know if you have gone through a life or you have friends who've gone through life. You might hear this phrase, the hard knocks of life or the school of life, or they're very street smart. Haven't you found that certain people who've been very, very much, you would say, experienced in life, broken by it, come face to face with so much evil in their life, don't you see that sometimes they have a lot more insight into reality than well-off, sentimental people do? A lot of people broken and experienced life have great insight into what life is really like. Well, here's a slave girl, tormented, but saying, these are servants of the Most High. There is such a thing as salvation. Now, this is an eerie insight. Very eerie. Should make the hairs on your body stand up. How so? In Isaiah chapter 14, there's a description how one of the great angels fell in the courts of heaven to become Lucifer or Satan. And how is it that an angel transformed into the evil one? Here's what he said. I will ascend. I will become like the Most High. A good angel fell and became an arch enemy to the Holy One God because he once declared, I will be as the Most High. Now, now listen, my friends. Here's the eerie part. Most High is the resentful, envious, hateful way in which the devil speaks of God. And this slave girl is using the same lingo. She's saying the same thing. Why? Because she's owned and possessed by an evil spirit. Spiritually all over the map. Lydia, wealthy, affluent, comfortable, but spiritually empty. A slave girl, tormented, tormented with some insight. How about the jailer? How about the jailer? I think he had zero spiritual interest. 
The jailer doesn't go to synagogue. The jailer doesn't come out to church. The jailer is fine. Do your job, provide for your family, live and die. That's the jailer. So we have Lydia who sought out the God of the Bible. We have a slave girl who had eerie insight, but was enslaved inside and outside. And a jailer who could care less how different these three characters are. Real life characters by ethnicity, economically, and spiritually at least. So now we get to see and learn how the Holy Spirit of God, when the gospel is launching and advancing into completely brand new territories, all right, brand new realms, how does the Holy Spirit use Apostle Paul and Silas to offer the gospel? Well, he offers, they offer the gospel in three different ways to three different people. Three completely different ways. Look at what he does for Lydia. He seeks out a place of prayer. He goes into that Bible study with Lydia. Let's sit down and talk. Can we talk? Can we have coffee? Tell me all your questions. Let me learn from you too. Here's the evidence. Here's what's compelling. Books. Let's study a book that proclaims to be the book of God. This is an academic offering, is it not? It's academic. In verse 14, we read, And the Lord opened her heart. Oh, ultimately, it's all the sovereign, sweet, loving spirit of God. You know, the only reason Lydia had any interest and was seeking after God was because God had interest and was seeking after her. And then when Paul came and spoke the gospel and unpacked the Old Testament, it says the Lord opened her heart. The Greek word for that is she got it. She got it. It clicked. Something was unlocked. This came through an academic approach of sharing the gospel. How about the slave girl? Look at verse 18 once again of 16. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. With the slave girl, Bible study is not possible. You're not inviting her to a prayer meeting yet. Because she's shrieking. She's miserable. For the slave girl, she doesn't need academics. She needs a direct experience to her heart. She needs an experiential deliverance. She needs a superior, far better power to set her free from what was enslaving her inside her heart. No, this is not academic. It's experiential. It's experiential. <laughs> Note, after many days, Paul was greatly annoyed. You know, more and more again. I don't know what your picture of Paul is. I really like him. This is not your mild, everyday, run-of-the-mill, ordinary annoyance. No, we're talking like he can't take no more. After many days. Now, think about this with me. Paul. Why didn't you just take care of the problem in day one? Why didn't you nip it in the bud? What's wrong with you? Were you procrastinating? She's wailing and she's tormented. It's obvious. She's miserable. Did you not assess her situation right? Hmm. 
Were you tired? Were you preoccupied? Did you not care? I would suggest to you, maybe all those reasons. This is a human being. He was greatly annoyed after many, many days. You know, previous to this passage, Paul had a falling out with Barnabas. No, they didn't reconcile at one point, and they went in two separate opposite directions, and the Holy Spirit used that to multiply and advance the gospel. Paul had a falling out with Barnabas because there was one dude he really didn't like, a human, faulty, tempered with a temper. But back to this chapter, this passage, Paul, it seems like... (laughs) He was just forced. Like, I don't think this was a moment of compassion. Like, this doesn't appear on commercials of empathy. Paul one day says, I am so tired of this girl. I'm going to pronounce the name of Jesus, and she was set free. For Lydia, academic. For the slave girl, an experience direct to her heart. Ah, now for the jailer. For the jailer. Look at verse 19. We did not read this part. Here's how Paul and Silas end up in the hands of the jailer, starting in verse 19. Follow with me. But when her owners, the owners of the fortune teller, the slave girl, saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Stop here for a moment with me. When you lose your business, when someone comes along and devastates your economics, hmm? a riot, a protest, a disturbance, this is not the only occasion that Paul and Christian evangelists ruined the economics or the business of a city. You know how furious owners would be? So they purposefully incite what? A riot. Now, this is a racist riot. A racist riot at root. These men are Jews. They don't behave like us Romans. Later on, they'll figure out one of them was a Roman citizen. A racist riot erupts. And here's what happens as a result. Verse 22. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. He fastened their feet in the stocks, beaten with many blows. Not one or two, folks. This is a wild, racist, angry mob. Beaten with many blows. Put under the care of what you might say a prison warden. And then he fastens their feet in the stocks. Now, this would not have struck me as anything, just a little detail, but a commentator writes, to fasten your feet in stocks, one foot is locked over here, and the other foot is spread very far apart from the other foot in the most uncomfortable positions. You see, this was a form of torture. Your muscles would cramp. It's far from your natural posture. For the jailer who was performing this kind of torture, we see what the Holy Spirit can also do for him. Some people cannot stand sermons. Totally get that. Some people are very scared and suspicious of overpowering experiences. 
like spiritual highs. But I think most people undeniably learn best when something is seen right before your very eyes. I think most people instinctively learn really, really well when you see something that it could be that good and that beautiful. And here's what this jailer was stunned by. Whereas for Lydia, the offer was an academic approach of the gospel. Whereas for the slave girl, she needed an experiential encounter, a power encounter with the gospel. But you know, for the jailer, he had to be stunned by something inexplicable. It was a kind of life he could not explain. He'd never seen this before. He'd never witnessed it this close. How could two men, while they're in pain, and after they've been beaten and I've tortured them, be singing at midnight and actually turn around and offer their lives for me? The jailer was stunned by the inexplicable singing and self-sacrifice while suffering. Mm. The jailer had never heard singing this kind of hope and joy where no condition could get to it. Do you like singing? One of my prayers for renewal at this church is you would really, really become more accustomed and learn to sing in the praise of God. It's okay if you're not a natural singer like myself. Maybe you sing in the shower. Maybe you hum. When's the last time you sang? Out loud. No self-consciousness. Why do you sing? Why would you ever want to sing? See, where does your jo joy or hope really come from? If you're really, really healthy and you feel really great, it's a good time to sing. But what if your health is taken away? Would you still sing? You live for your loved ones. Oh, you love them so. But if your loved ones are taken away, would you still sing? You're chasing that dream. You're chasing that goal. You want to retire at that age. But what if it doesn't happen? Could you still sing? Here's what the jailer saw. Here's what the jailer saw in Paul and Silas. Two full-grown men. And what are they doing? Look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And then something astonishing, I would say probably supernatural happens. Look at verses 26 and 27. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Rule of law for prison wardens, prison guards. You lose a prisoner or maybe all of them. Life for life, life for life. Your life is done. Your life was forfeited. Then look at verses 28 and 29. But Paul cried out with a loud voice. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with 
fear he fell down before Paul and Silas. Oh, listen, my friends. Earthquake. Doors are flown open. The bonds are unfastened. The jailer wants to kill himself, but he finds Paul and Silas stayed in prison. And maybe they kept all the prisoners there. Why? For him. The lives of Paul and Silas were previously in the hands of the jailer, but now the life of the jailer was in their hands. And what did they do with his life? They overcame his evil with good. Not only were they singing to God while suffering. Friends, I am never speaking. The Bible never speaks about why you are suffering, that you do not cry and weep and have dark nights and extended seasons of grief or lamenting. It does not pretend or diminish that it really, really hurts. However, there's a song in the night. And when the jailer turns around to find Paul and Silas, the ones who had been mobbed, the ones who had been beaten with far too many blows, the ones whose feet I fastened into the stocks, you have every opportunity to run for your own freedom, but you stayed for mine. You stayed for mine. Oh, my friends, this is where the power of the gospel is shown. It's inexplicable. See, a man like this jailer checks in and out of work, lives for the weekends, just makes sure his family's provided for, probably would have never gone to a Bible study. He didn't go to the synagogue. He doesn't want spiritual highs. Please don't invite me to that retreat. I don't want overpowering emotions. But when he is overcome by the most undeniable, inexplicable, yet most practical demonstration of love. People like the jailer are overcome by the most beautiful demonstration of love. Paul and Silas, really? You'd give your life for me? Your life for mine? You'd lay yourself down for me? Then he just cries out, what do I have to do to be saved? He's literally begging them now. What do I do to get what you have? What do you have, O oh Christian people? What is this? What is this hope? What is this joy? What is that? And what is this willingness to do good to people like me? And so now we conclude in verses 32 to 34. And they that spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house... And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them and rejoiced. And he rejoiced, rejoiced, listen, rejoiced, along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Do you see what happens here? The jailer sees the gospel. That gives a perfect opportunity to speak and share the word of the gospel. Then the jailer believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. And their joy rushes in and becomes his. He and all his household rejoice. Now, we've been looking at three very different characters. 
And the Holy Spirit approaches them in three different ways with the gospel. Three apparently different characters. But do you know underneath it all? They're all the same. Hmm? How so? Did you know they're all the same? Everyone is this way? I'll summarize it this way. They're all enslaved. Everyone is a slave. Everyone is actually a slave. Oh, pastor, I, I thought it was just the demon-possessed little girl here. That's obvious, right? That's straight out of a movie. She's shrieking, fortune teller, weird. Well, obviously, she's in slavery. No, 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 no. Look at the jailer. Look at the jailer. When his rulers, hmm, you know what his masters was? Law, duty, responsibility, reputation, self-worth. When you take that away from a middle-class jailer, he thought it's no longer worth living. How about Lydia? Lydia, accomplished, elite, upper, upper, upper class. Brilliant. Think of how hard a woman had to work to accrue that kind of status, to get to own a home. In other words, you don't think Lydia slaved away all her life to get to that zip code, that tax bracket. But lo and behold, the Bible tells us all, after you have slaved away to reach your dreams and goals, she's left empty. We're actually all the same. We're all the same. Because the Bible teaches you and I, everyone has to live for something. Everyone has to live for something. And whatever you live for, you become enslaved to. Whatever you live for, you become and make yourself a slave to it. Why are you a workaholic and so restless? Why? Why never enough? Hmm? Why is it never, never, ever, 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 ever enough for you? You have to make your life worthwhile. How come you obsess and insist that everything in your family, in your business, especially your kids, have to turn out just right? Because you've given your life over to being just right. Why do you harbor so much resentment? How come you cannot forgive that person? Because your life is about people treating you right. Is there anything today that makes you despondent? It cannot be comforted. You are in despair. Can I suggest to you, my dear friend, maybe whatever you lost or whatever you want to get has actually become your life. It's become your life. But look at Paul and Silas. Do you know men like these? Are you a woman or man who can become like Paul and Silas? Singing at midnight, in the middle of the pain, 
while being mistreated with such evil. Every master will let you down. That includes your spouse and kids. Every lover or master you give your life self to, even when it goes well and you get it, it'll let you down. And it'll watch out when you fail it. It's brutal. Every master will beat you more when you're down. But Paul and Silas had the only master who could forgive them when they utterly failed because their master, by the name of Jesus Christ, was emptied. He gave himself under the powers of evil. He was left for dead at the cross. He will forgive every one of his children, every one of his servants, no matter how many times or how grave your failure is. And when you do get him, hey, listen, my friends, when you really get Jesus, you get him, the Lord unlocks your heart, you experience him. His love and his presence and his holiness for you is the most satisfying thing intellectually, experientially, and practically. There's no other master who will fulfill all your longings and all your dreams. Until then, everyone is a slave. Until then, we're all enslaved. We're all enslaved. This is why Jesus came along in John chapter 8, in verses 34 to 36. He declares this for all of us to hear and to believe. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So if the son of God sets you free, you will be free indeed. If the son of God, only the son of God sets you free, you will be free indeed. Christian friends, if you are a Christian, do you really want to make a difference in someone else's life? Do you want to be an exhibition, a demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, unless you're able to sing in the night, have a joy and a hope that no condition can rob you from, and do good, do good. Not indifferent, not passive, not reactive, not retaliatory. Do good to those who do you evil. I would suggest you're going to make very little difference. And if you're not sure you're a Christian today, you're not sure if Jesus is your master. Jesus is really the one running your life. Oh, just give your life over to him, please. Get baptized, join a church, give your life over to him. Every other master will let you down when you get it, and they'll beat you when you don't. But only the Son of God sets you free. Every master will tantalize and deceive you, but it all leads to, ultimately, I guarantee it, because the Bible says it, every other master only leads you slowly but surely to sorrows, regrets, and death. Only the Son of God. Only Jesus Christ. It may feel like sorrows and death up front, but it actually all ultimately leads and turns into life. He will set you free.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you do your work now to Lydia's, to girls who are tormented, to jailers. Meet us, oh God. You came down to meet us and speak to us and minister to us in all the ways we need most, even here right now. So Holy Spirit, may the word of the good news of Jesus, living and dying and rising for us, may you grab a hold of our lives this day. Turn it, change it for good. And may all of us as brothers and sisters be set free from all the usual masters everyone serves. May we serve and worship you alone above all. Hear us, we pray now, even as we continue to worship. In Jesus' name, amen.